Today, we're launching differently into a brand new, different message series called Different. Uh, the style of this message series is going to be different. So just to be different, we're going to look at an ancient historical document. And this document has been preserved and it has survived from antiquity. And then it was placed into a collection of ancient manuscripts that have been bound together. And that collection is titled the New Testament. When it's dranced up for a fancy official dinner, it's called an epistle. But when it's just at home with its friends, it's called a letter. A letter that is known as 1 Peter. Called first because there is a second. That's right, you got it. Now, who do you think wrote 1 Peter? Yes, it was Peter. Good, good, excellent. Great job for you there. A little spoiler. That's who wrote it. And we're going to listen in as the Apostle Peter is teaching uh, and as he is calling these first century Jesus followers and us as 21st century Jesus followers to be different from the rest of the world. Sometimes I think Peter gets a bad rap. When people uh, think of Peter, they say, ah, he's just an uneducated fisherman. And it's one of the most common descriptions that I hear of Peter. So first of all, I think Peter worked with a scribe to do the physical writing. And that deals with all of the concerns that have been uh, mentioned that he was not educated enough to write these letters. It might, it might have even been his good friend John Mark. That's the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. But just because a guy wasn't formally educated does not mean that this guy was not sharp. Okay? Some of the sharpest people that I know never went to college or whatever. The difference between the education system of today and, and the first century is enormous, right? They're, they're not even comparable. The vast majority of first century people were illiterate. But that also means that the vast majority of social interaction and business was not based on literacy. This guy was a businessman. He was a fisherman. And he became a tremendous leader. He was passionate. He was bold. And when you read his writings in 1 Peter, he deals with some incredibly weighty, theologically heavy issues. Right? He wrote from the perspective of an, eye, he wrote from the perspective of an eyewitness and not simply as some library-bound attached scholar. He's writing to a group of suffering, mistreated, hard done by Christians, and in that he talks to them about things like foreknowledge and, and, and sanctification. He talks about obedience in, in the midst of adversity. He talks about the, the, the blood of Christ. He talks about the Trinity. He talks about revelation. And none of it has a particularly fishy smell, okay? These are four real deep insights from someone who has lived in the muck. When you're reading, you're going to find two big themes that uh, you're going to see over and over again. He talks about the hope that we have in Christ. And then he tells us that we are called to be different from this world. Because our relationship with Christ, we have been made new. And that new should not feel just the same. And obviously, Peter did not write this letter in the 21st century in the midst of a global pandemic. But the sufferings he is writing in the midst of make it specially relevant for us right now. 1 Peter was written somewhere between uh, 60, 65 AD, and certainly before 70 AD when Rome sacked Jerusalem. This was the history building up to that major historical landmark event. 
We're not sure the exact date, but this was during the reign of a very evil and corrupt man known as Emperor Nero. Perhaps you've heard of Nero, but if you don't know much about Nero, let me just paint you a wee tiny little picture of this guy. This guy killed his mother, and on Mother's Day. Well, at least it's Mother's Day today, and we're talking about it. So what a bad guy. He killed his first wife. He most likely killed his second wife. This guy was so twisted that many historians believe that he actually burned the city of Rome. And what we do know is that in July of 64 AD, this big fire broke out in Rome, and it burned uncontrollably for six days. Finally, they get it out. On the sixth day, it's out, right? And then it reignites, and it burns for another three days. The story goes that Nero started this fire because he had an insatiable lust to build. The Senate wouldn't let him rebuild, so he just burned everything so he could rebuild it. Well, evidently that didn't go well. And when people started to blame him for, for burning Rome, he decided to blame this little group of very passionate and already hated people known as Christ ones or Christians, Jesus followers. He said, they did it. And so this already persecuted group became officially persecuted brutally during the season in which Peter was writing this letter. That's part of the setting or the context or the backstory of Peter's letter. So just to give you an idea of how sick Nero was, among other things, he actually put Christians in animal skins, then locked them in a cage, and then they release a pack of wild dogs into the cage. And they would watch as the dogs would maul and destroy these Christians. And Nero would sit back, sip some wine, and drink it all in as entertainment. This guy was so sick, he would take Christians, and, and you have to understand, these are real people, okay? They love their families just like you. And he would dip them in hot wax and um, tie them to a tree, tie, tying their hands to a tree and light them on fire, burn the tree. And these people are like human candles to light the night skies as he would throw evening garden parties. This is the context into which Peter was writing when he wrote the letter that we're about to read. So who is this message for? I think it's for two groups of people. This is for those of you who are hurting right now. Uh, those of you who have questions that are unanswered. You're in a trial. You're enduring something difficult. It might be a financial loss. It might be the loss of a child or loss of a job. It might be some kind of health issue. It might be tension in an important relationship. It might be that your children are moving in a direction that you don't want. It could be emotional could be addiction, could be quarantine. You're in some sort of a trial. If you're going through a difficult time, then this message is for you. Second group of people would be those who will one day go through a trial. And that would be just about all of you, right? Watching people as you're involved in ministry, we might say that you're either coming out of a trial, or you're in the middle of a trial, or you're going into a trial because life is so difficult. And if I'm telling the truth here, can somebody say amen? Yeah, life can be difficult. And so no matter what you're going through, we want to hear from God in a way that would speak to us as we're hurting. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 
starts this way. This is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The Greek word that's translated as foreigners is peripetimus, and it's translated in, in many ways, you know, depending on what translation of the Bible you have. It's exiles or sojourners or aliens or strangers or foreigners. Peter is saying, you need to understand and remember, this is not your home. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a stranger in this world. You're a sojourner here. You're just, you're just passing through. You're an alien, and this is not your final dwelling place. Now, since this world is not your home, therefore, you will be different from this world. For those of you who, who are followers of Christ, what does that mean? It means you'll have different values than those around you. You'll have different morals than other people. You'll have a different belief system. You'll be different as a mom. Happy Mother's Day. You'll be different as a dad. You'll be different as a husband. You'll be different as a wife. You'll be different in the ways that you raise your children, different in the way that you relate to people. You'll be different in how you deal with someone who mistreats you. You'll be different in the way that you invest your money. You'll be different in the way you spend your time. Why? Because this world is not your home. You're called to be different. You have been set free to be different. Now, good friend of Jesus, eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus, eyewitness to the death and to the resurrection of Jesus, the Apostle Peter is going to show us that if you're in the middle of a trial because this world is not your home, you can have a different kind of faith when you go through something incredibly difficult. So what does it look like to have a different faith in trials? Well, remember that Peter is writing this letter to specific people. And it might actually appear shocking when you remember the context of who he's writing to and what these people are living in. Peter says to these hurting Christians, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. In other words, God may not make these temporary trials go away, but there is still wonderful joy ahead. Bad things are going to happen to good people, but the bad things are not the end of the story. The bad things also do not invalidate the story. And he's going to go on to show that these trials have a purpose. He reassures us that these trials will show that your faith is genuine. If there's such a thing as a genuine faith, then what would the opposite of that be? And if there's a genuine faith, there also must be a false faith, right? And honestly, this, this might be one of my greatest concerns. For many, there is a form of godliness, but we deny its power. Sometimes it's so easy to claim to be a Christian and that I believe many people would call themselves Christians but they're not at all. It's a false faith. So if there's a genuine faith, there's also a false faith. It's important to clarify that your self-identification of a connection or a relationship with Jesus might not be based on genuine faith. How can you recognize false faith in yourself? Because this is not about your ability to armchair analyze those you meet, right? This is for you and about you to help you self-diagnose. Let's look at three types of false faith. Perhaps the most common, I would call it inherited 
faith. Some of you might have contracted this from your parents, right? This is where we might say things like, well, my mom was a Presbyterian and my dad was a Baptist and, well, we went to church some, right? You could depend on us for Christmas and Easter, probably a couple of other Sundays too. So obviously then I'm a Christian, right? You know, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not an atheist. So I guess I must be a Christian. My parents were, my grandma was. That's just the way we are in my family. That is an inherited faith. Or really, it's some inherited habits. But it's not your faith. For example, I I know a bunch of students that I had the honor to work with for some time. They grew up in church, came every Sunday, every Wednesday, always in youth group. And now they would say, now that I'm in university, well, I'm thinking for myself and I'm facing challenges and I'm not really sure that I believe all that stuff. I think that's more of my parents' thing. And what they describe is an inherited faith. It was her parents. It was not hers. And that would be perhaps where some of you are right now. It's not a genuine faith. It's not really yours. It's not antagonistic necessarily, but it's not a life source. It's more of an attendance-based practice. Second type that I would call shallow faith, uh, Jesus told a story about a fellow, uh, a, a disciple of one of Peter's friends, a fellow disciple, recorded it for um, us in his gospel, Matthew. He shares it with us. It's in chapter 13. And, I, you know, I'd highly recommend that you go and read the whole story. Just Maybe you could do that even later today. He said a, a farmer or a sower went out to sow some seeds, to plant some seeds, right? And so some of these seeds took root and a little plant sprung up. But the roots didn't go very deep. It was a shallow faith. And so Jesus said, when the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the love for the things of this world came along, it choked out this little plant and it died. Why? Because the roots weren't deep enough. That again, that might be where some of you are. And can I just be really honest for a moment? Some of you who are with us and happy to be here today you're going to enter a season of challenge, and maybe this is even the start of that season for you right now. And, and, and then you're not going to be here anymore. You will not be in any church anymore. And you will give up reading the Bible, you'll give up praying, and you'll be hurting. And you'll be afraid. Maybe you'll be lost in some addiction, and there'll be no spiritual power, and there'll be no spiritual victory, and that is absolutely and completely true. I've seen it over and over and over again, because you have no real roots to keep you deep. Maybe in saying that, I'm stepping on some toes. But let me explain it this way. People confess things to me all the time, even strangers. It's like the weirdest thing. They confess and I ask at the blah, 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 do you want to be close to God? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be close to God, but it's so hard on your own. You were never meant to face this all by yourself. And when you're stretching just to get by spiritually. It's also really hard to go seven days at a time between your spiritual connection. So I want to fight alongside of you. I want to help you get the strength that you need for the full seven days to fight the devil, to fight your habits, to fight your inertia, to fight your negative thoughts. How can we help you? Put your eyes up. Let's take a next step. This series is going to be four episodes over five weeks. Do you think that you could commit to meeting together digitally 
four times. We'll have a Zoom meeting to catch up and follow up on stuff we are learning and just trying to live well and more wisely. This helps our roots grow deeper because there's, there's somebody listening and you just need to hear this and you're kind of here and you're kind of in and you kind of want to be part and you need to take a next step forward before the devil takes you out. Because church is not just listening to a podcast, even though those are great. Church is the body of Christ where we gather corporately to worship God, to strengthen one another, and to plan our approach embodying Jesus' new covenant command to love one another. This really matters to God. Jesus died for the church. He's returning for the church. He said, I will build my church. The church matters to Jesus. Therefore, it matters to us. We're not going to settle for a shallow faith. So please consider joining us for a 7.30 Thursday night Zoom meeting to connect. We'll send a link out in an email this week and we're going to put a link in the chat as well. Third thing is conditional faith. It's those who would say, I believe in God and I love God. As long as, I, as, long as things go my way, I love God and I believe in God, right? This, this might be you. You, you definitely know people like this. I talked to a guy once. He said, my wife left me. I lost my job. How can I believe in a God who would allow that to happen? Well, that is a conditional faith. And that is a false faith. If being hurt by the church causes you to lose your faith in God, then your faith was in people, not God. And if you are suffering under a false faith, I believe that God brought you here today to change that into a genuine faith Trials can reveal the depth of your faith. So how does God use our trials? Two different ways. Number one, trials reveal your faith. Trials reveal your faith. And that, there's part of me that really doesn't like that, okay? I don't like trials, frankly. And I also don't want my faith to be put on trial. I don't want to feel exposed. But let's look at it again. 1 Peter 1, 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. And I like to think of it this way. A faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. I might not like the testing, but I really do appreciate the sense of confidence that grows up as we overcome, as we bear up under, and as we come through. A faith that's been tested is one that can be trusted. My God intervened. I know it. I have seen it. I have experienced it. I have stories that are mine, and I can gain strength and encouragement from them. They are stories that I can share and encourage others with. We just finished watching Peter face some testing in our previous series, The Upside Down. Peter, uh, he's been tested a little bit. He even failed a little bit. And then he was strengthened, and he regrouped. He was redeemed. He was bought back. He was made new and he was completely transformed. And so maybe 25 years prior to Peter preparing this letter. So let's get the timeline right in our, in our, in our head. Remember, Peter has a whole life, right? He was a disciple with Jesus decades before he wrote 1 Peter. So about 25 years before this letter, uh, Luke records a story um, from earlier in Peter's life in his gospel. So it's Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 31. Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan wants to test you. Satan wants to see what you're made of. Don't ever for a moment think that your spiritual enemy is not scheming to take away 
you from God. Jesus continues, verse 32, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Trials reveal your faith. And when you've turned back, in other words, you're not always going to get it right, Peter, but when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. How did God use the trial to transform Peter? So think about this. In the early years, let's just be honest, Peter was kind of obnoxious, inconsistent, he's hot-headed, he was rash. Remember, I'm talking about Peter, not about you. Uh, in the later years, what, 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 what was he? He was incredibly bold. He was incredibly tenacious. He was full of faith. What happened? God used the trials to strengthen him, to, to uh, transform him. What was one of those big trials? Well, Peter was always shooting off at the mouth, right? And he said one time to Jesus, hey, if all those other loser disciples deny you, I never will, right? I'm your guy. I got your back. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Thomas, you can't trust him, but you can trust me. And then what happened? Not one time, not two times, but three times Peter denied Jesus. One of them, it was to a junior high girl. Do you know Jesus? Uh, uh, what, Jesus? I don't, I don't know. No, I never heard of him. She's a young girl with her little Moses lunchbox. No, 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 no I've, I've never met him in my life. And then he hears the rooster crow and he sees Jesus' eyes and his heart's just ripped out. And then Jesus goes on and he's brutally killed on the cross for Peter's sins, for the sins that he just finished committing. Jesus died for our sins, the ones that we have just finished committing, the ones that we are still going to commit. And three days later, the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, Christ is risen. The Apostle John records this really meaningful encounter between the risen Christ and Peter. It's in uh, chapter 21 of John. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, yes, I love you. And then Jesus gives Peter an assignment. He says, feed my sheep. So what happens shortly after that? Peter, the guy who messed up, was the guest preacher on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were born into the kingdom of God. What happened? God used the trials to strengthen his faith to change him to who he was to become. Trials can reveal and strengthen your faith. And that's why Jesus, the brother, James, the brother of Jesus, he said it this way in James 1. Without a transformative relationship with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, this still sounds confusing, all right? I get that. But things change when you change from the kingdoms of this world and you enter the kingdom of God. Verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Joy? Verse 3, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. God's going to use it. God's doing something in it. God's doing something through it. My God will never waste a hurt. He's always working in it. He's always for you. He always loves you. And he's always good. Trials reveal your faith. Second thing I hope you'll see is that trials can draw you closer to God. So 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 tells us this directly. Well, that's where it's located. But the book doesn't tell us that. and The letter doesn't tell us that. Peter 
tells us that. Peter, who spent more than three years closely observing Jesus, tells us. Peter, who went through the miraculous change to where he became the leader for this brand new and highly persecuted movement, tells us. And I want you to experience the power of this language. Verse 8, you love God even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him, you trust him. Watch this. This grows out of his own life and his, in his own failures, his own hardships. This is hard-won wisdom. Remember to whom he is writing. There are people that, you know, maybe their cousin just got burned as a candle by Nero the night before. That's how dark the situation is. And he says, you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. A glorious, inexpressible joy. A joy that can only come from heaven. A joy for which we do not have the words in our human vocabulary to adequately express, to describe that heavenly emotion that settles our soul, that calms our mind, that gives us peace beyond our human ability to understand. So even though you're grieving, even though you're hurting, even though you're afraid, even though it's dark, even though they may be coming to get you, you can still have this glorious, inexpressible joy. And then Peter tells us in verse 9, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. The reward will be the salvation of your souls. So notice this, that's what we call the gospel. What's the gospel? That's the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. So what I hope you'll understand is that the good news is not that God saves us from our trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. This is the really, really good news. This is the good news with everlasting implications, not just momentary implications. Good news that changes our ability to live in the midst of whatever it is that we live in the midst of. And God never ever said that I will deliver you from all your troubles. He never said you won't have migraine headaches. He never said you won't have financial difficulties. He never ever said that you won't have a person at work that drives you over the edge and makes you want to expel them away. He never said any of that. Jesus said the exact opposite. And you can read it in John 16, 33 if you want. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The good news is not that he saves us from our trials. The good news is that he saves us and he buys us back. He redeems our souls and he forgives us of our sins. And that's the best news of all time. And then someone might say, but hold on, Graham. God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle? Come on. God would never give you more than you can handle is an awful misinterpretation of a snippet from a letter from Paul to the uh, people in the city of Corinth. You can find it in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and Paul says God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So none of the 40 authors of the 66 different historical documents wrapped together into the text that we now call the Bible ever says that God won't give you more than you can handle. And this has been a weight of guilt hung around the necks of suffering Christians for far too long. I'm absolutely convinced that God will often allow you to have more than you can handle. 
because that teaches you to depend on him and to experience the community of faith. In that time, you will have the opportunity to be drawn into one. When you're hurting, draw close to him. When you're desperate, call on him. Because let's be honest, for those with a false faith, the moment life is okay, you just don't need him. And you go back to living your life without him. So I'm convinced that there are times when God will allow you to be weak. Because in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. God will allow you to get to a place where you are so low, all you can do is look up to him, eyes up. And then you will find and remember and be reminded that he is good. And when you press into him, you can too also experience that glorious, inexpressible joy. So does does this resonate with any of you? Let me just tell you where this comes from, okay? Personal experience. Painful, personal experience. I can't tell you how many times that I've been preparing in my little room, getting ready, writing, editing, fighting off the tears from the challenges and the hurts that I have faced or I am facing. And I come out and uh, passionately connect with God and I preach my heart out and then I go back drained and hurting. And here's what I want you to understand. Our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is not in what we feel. Our faith is in who God is. Say it out loud, okay? Our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who God is. Our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who God is. And at the same time, we hurt because it's real. And at the same time, we have human fears because we are human. And at the same time, we can have supernatural faith in the goodness of God. So if you're listening today and you're hurting, you are here because God loves you. Take a step toward him. And when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And God loves you so much that he brought you here to help you to understand that you're not experiencing a trial because you're bad or because you did something wrong. But he can actually use the trial to strengthen you and conform you to the image of his son, Jesus. And then may you never be the same as you trust in him. Kind Father, I ask you today that you would do a work that only you can do to bring healing. God, please, to those who are hurting now. You might have a need today, a financial situation, a physical condition. It might be somebody that you love. It might be relational. It might be spiritual questions. And you say, I'm facing a challenge, a trial, and I need prayer today. If that's you, would you consider con- clicking the live prayer button right now? One of our hosts will join you in a private chat window, and you can pray with somebody right now by clicking live prayer. And if you want to submit a prayer request, you can do that by selecting the link in the chat window right now. God, I thank you today, not because there are hurting people here. I thank you that there is hurting people together in your presence. And God, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn, and today... God, we hurt with those that are hurting. But God, we also want to uh, hope in your son, Jesus. 
Today we ask that you would do a miracle in our hearts, that you would draw us close to you. We thank you, God, that even in the middle of the most severe trials, there can be inexpressible and glorious joy for those who know you. May we, in the middle of a trial, experience the peace that goes beyond our human ability to understand what we see. Our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who you are, God. Help us to trust you. God, I pray for financial provision right now. I pray for relational restoration. God, we ask that you would do miraculous works. And between the time of our prayer and the time that we see it, we choose to trust you. Please be among us, administering this glorious, indescribable peace to our souls that we would be different because we have been with you, Jesus. Amen.